I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. You're listening to our daily podcast edition of the program. I'm honored to welcome Dr. Utibe Essien to our broadcast today. He's a physician, professor at the University of Pittsburgh, has been on the front lines of the COVID pandemic. Welcome, doctor. Thanks so much for having me. This is a pleasure. Uh, doctor, the systemic failures in hospitals at the height of the first resurgence in various cities, and let's specifically talk about Pittsburgh and your familiarity with the processes in your hospital. Do you think that you and we collectively are prepared for you know, what is going to be the next resurgence uh, until there is a vaccination and folks are widely vaccinated? Are, are, is your hospital much better prepared than it was at the beginning of, of the pandemic? Sure. So I think in general, the health system, uh, like many of us, were not prepared for, for what, had come, uh, what had come at the start of the pandemic, as we saw across the country. Um, we really struggled with having enough protective equipment for folks on the front lines to uh, enough information to be able to inform our patients and our public about um, how to keep themselves protected. And so every day we're learning something new. And I think definitely now six months in, we are as a health system more broadly, far more, far better prepared than we were. Um, Though there's still so much room to go in terms of making sure that we are um, stemming the tied in terms of the numbers of cases, numbers of hospitalizations, folks ending up in the intensive care units, and of course, unfortunately, the the high number of death that we are experiencing in our country. So definitely we've learned a lot, but lots of room to improve still. How do you think incentives need to change at the hospital level? Um, We all know about the failure of, of some of the public to heed the advisories and guidance, but at the hospital level, are there systemic um, incentives that, that still have to change to better serve um, the physicians who, like yourself who are courageously working on the front lines and then, of course, patients? Do you think that there are incentives that, that need to change still? Yeah, so I think the focus on um, ensuring quality and, and safety and especially equity will really help us in the next stage of the pandemic, uh, the next wave, so to speak. Um, at the start, we were uniquely focused on managing the acute illness and, uh, again, learning what were the associated risk factors with having severe infection and dying from this uh, new disease that none of us back six months ago had ever heard of. Um, now, I believe we do need to shift our focus towards not just um, understanding the disease, but make, really making sure that we are equitably distributing care for this disease. That's where my research and clinical focus is on under, ensuring that the most vulnerable populations in our in our nation and our health systems gain access to the care that they need. And so, again, whether that's access equitably to testing for their COVID-19 uh, to actual treatments, especially some of the newer ones that are out. Um, and of course, ultimately to vaccination, um, changing our incentives at the hospital level towards focusing and prioritizing equity, I believe is something that can help us in the future. And, and that is 
what I wanted most to talk to you about equity in the healthcare system. What did the Affordable Care Act achieve? Um, and what did it not achieve that in a new administration during this pandemic ought to be corrected um, as quickly as possible? Right. So the Affordable Care Act enabled us to ensure far more Americans than we, we had in the past. Um, I always bring that up when discussing health equity because I believe access to health care is one of the leading drivers of the disparities that we're seeing in COVID-19. We continue to see, in particular from an, two articles that came out just this past week from the Veterans Health Administration that individuals who are admitted to that within that health system for COVID-19 had equitable rates of mortality. So there weren't these striking differences in death in, by race and ethnicity in the VA compared to outside the data that we're seeing outside of the VA. So I really do believe that access to care is so critical. And that was one of the key um, features of the Affordable Care Act. That being said, there remains 27 million Americans who are uninsured today. And the majority of those are coming from racial and ethnic minority groups. And so still room to improve. And those 27 million who are uninsured have had limited access to healthcare. And that limited access looks like when public health leaders and policymakers were advising the public to ask your doctor about your symptoms. Well, we can only imagine what that ask looks like when individuals didn't have a primary care doctor to connect with or um, have a way to be able to inform someone of their symptoms. And so again, Affordable Care Act really provided us with the broadening our health insurance coverage, but there still is great room to improve there. Um, and especially for those states that have yet to, for example, expand Medicaid um, to be able to ensure that healthcare is provided for the most vulnerable in our communities. And as you envision the enhancement of the Affordable Care Act, uh, specifically watching the destruction of uh, black and brown communities uh, that have been hard hit, battered by this virus. Uh, what, what do you think needs to happen either medically or economically or socioeconomically um, that new legislation and a new foundation of health equity can support? Um, since obviously the Affordable Care Act, um, as much as it may have expanded the network of, of coverage, uh, could not make it so that this pandemic um, w was not so disproportionately impacting black and brown folks. Right. So I, I believe that there are a number of, number of key steps, again, thinking, reimagining, recreating, whatever is the, the right verb there, how we can ensure that those 27 million Americans that remain uninsured and more importantly, those who continue to receive inequitable care once they actually do engage within the health system, that is one key step that we need to address. My area of research focus is on understanding why there remain uh, disparities in access to the most novel therapies out there. For example, I study the chronic disease of atrial fibrillation, which is the most common heart rhythm disorder. And we see in that disease that Black individuals are nearly 20% less likely to receive the most newest and most effective medications for that disease. And 
again, this is not just limited to the area of study that I do, but when we think about opioids and pain treatment, we see disparities there. And so, again, think, but figuring out how our health system can make sure that everyone has access to care and that that care is equitable is one huge step that needs to be taken. Um, and at the health system level, really uh, appreciating that we need to do more than being care providers, that the social determinants of health or the places where individuals live, work, and play have such a huge impact on our health. And so how can our health system really start to invest in those um, social determinants, whether it's the provision of food support, housing support, serving as anchor institutions and really financially investing in communities of need. I believe that those are two big steps that we can take to help, again, kind of stem the tide that we've been seeing in the disparities in COVID. Realistically speaking, do you think that had we had a public option or a, a more transparent universal system that whether you want to call it single payer uh, or a public option, in that environment, these disparities would not have existed so dramatically? Or do you think that it, it comes back to housing, at public education, um, and the uh, those are the sort of foundational areas that would make or break the communities, um, you know, as we see those that have been able to mitigate um, local community transmission. Right. So I always go back to uh, thinking about the folks across the pond in the UK and how they have a national health system that um, reliably provides universal health coverage uh, more broadly than we are able to here in the US. But back in April and still till today, once their national service put out some of their first data related to COVID-19 and the racial disparities that were existing in their communities, they saw the same thing. They saw that 33% of Black, Asian, and multi-ethnic communities were making up the, um, the large majority of hospitalizations for COVID-19, far higher than what their population represented. And that's exactly what we were seeing here in the U.S. as well. And so I, I won't pretend that uh, healthcare access or universal coverage is the panacea to addressing the disparities in COVID-19 because, as you mentioned, I believe it goes far beyond healthcare provision to actually addressing those social factors that are such key drivers here. And I think we have to discuss the role that discrimination and racism plays in our community and how um, that is likely what is driving the disparities both here and across the pond that we know Black and Hispanic and Native American individuals have lower rates of housing, uh, home ownership, have lower rates of wealth, lower rates of employment. A lot of that is not by accident, but it's based on policies and practices that we've been experiencing for um, decades, if not centuries, in our country. And uh, addressing those issues as well will really help us stem the tide again. Uh, Dr. Pittsburgh is a city with a strong civic bond. How have you found the community there uh, to, to try to cultivate some of what you describe as the groundwork for that equity? Yeah, I think that's a wonderful question. And I'm new to the city, moved here two years ago, but um, the, the relationships with my community, with my colleagues has been really powerful and important. Uh, I believe that there has been a... Uh, 
united front towards public health practices to help us stem the tide, whether it is social distancing, wearing masks, which again are two of the really critical um, strategies that we need to continue to implement and take to be able to remain safe here in this pandemic. Um, and I believe it's also thinking about what do professionals look like in this space. So it was really neat to see, for example, the newest class of medical students at the University of Pittsburgh take an oath to really dedicate them their uh, next four years of training to focusing on the social determinants of health and addressing those key factors. And so I think the community is invested. The community leaders are going out and spreading the word about what safe vaccines will look like. Uh, I think professionals in this space are, have really been committed to ensuring equity in this work. And I really think that this is an important time to be in the city right now. And is there anything that, that you would like to see from either the governor or uh, local state office holders that you think has been absent during this period? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so one of the key uh, points that many of us have been raising right at the start of the pandemic was the need for clear and complete comprehensive race and ethnicity data related to COVID-19. And so till today, we're still uh, missing some of that data, whether related to who is getting tested, who is being infected, and who is dying. And in particular, in our state, we're still around 35 to 50% missing data um, around, around race and ethnicity in those factors. And so that's one area of improvement that we, we need to make. We've reached out to our colleagues here at the Allegheny County Health Department um, and at the Pennsylvania Health Department level, we being a, a large group of um, leaders around health equity and COVID-19 here in Pittsburgh. I believe we are starting to see a, a clear response and a move in that direction. And um, I'm going to have been reassured, especially by our local leaders, that they've been uh, really prioritizing this. There's a new task force related to health equity here in Pittsburgh at the government level. And I believe that those steps are so critical to helping um, ensure equity more broadly outside of the health system specifically. As a final question, do you think based on the way that Pittsburgh experienced COVID and maybe some of your colleagues elsewhere in the state or even anecdotally from your experience with doctors with whom you've worked across the country, do you think that people are going to vote like their lives depend on it? Yeah, so I believe that that is one of the key ways that we can get out, um, or we can inspire, rather, our patients, our communities. There's several leaders in healthcare who are starting to really amplify the message, again, a bipartisan message of the importance of voting. Um, we know that policies in place, whether it's related to public health or related to public policy around education, housing, and employment, have really made a difference in the numbers that we're seeing as related to who has been at higher risk of exposure to COVID-19, for example. And so I think that that is an area of, of civic responsibility that I believe our, our communities are really focusing on. And I'm grateful to, uh, to be able to learn from folks who are really leading in that space as well. More specifically, uh, you know, being here in New York, I, I would say that there is maybe that consciousness around voting. And, and I just didn't know if you felt it was as widely felt that the devastation as a result of negligent policymaking, misguided, um, and, and sometimes uh, the lack of truth-telling 
um, resonated enough that people feel specifically in, in your community like voting really does matter in a way that they would not have or might not have prior to the pandemic. Yeah, I think um, we're, again, more and more speaking to our communities about what um, what policy means and how policy does really affect and impact our um, day to day. I believe many, perhaps many of us didn't really fully appreciate that until over the last six months when depending on where you live, you're um, the restaurants were being closed or they were enforcing mask wearing policies. And so every day it seems like we're learning more and more just how important it is to have policymakers not just work with um, public health officials, scientists and physicians and, and clinicians rather, but also to help encourage um, the public and motivate the public. And so I do agree with you that these last six months have probably moved many of us to appreciating just how important policy is to, um, to our health. Professor, can you just talk broadly about the inequity in the treatment of COVID and what it takes for someone, just a lay person, to, to be able to have access to trials like the president got? Sure. So the inequities with COVID-19 are, are quite broad, like you mentioned. Um, they start with testing and access to COVID-19 testing, which we've seen both racial, ethnic, and income disparities there. Um, they extend all the way to treatment. So when individuals are actually in the hospital, there are several studies that have shown even before prior, even prior to COVID-19 that for example, Black and Hispanic individuals get less pain treatment, less cardiovascular treatment, et cetera. And we're starting to see, at least anecdotally, some of the same story with COVID-19 treatment, whether it's lower access to um, remdesivir or um, some of the more newer treatments that are available on the market. Uh, and again, I think more broadly, this issue deals and expands out to vaccination and making sure that we are ensuring equitable access to the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, I think that unfortunately, we, our health system has been burdened with inequities in access to the latest and most innovative therapeutics and even most effective therapeutics out there. And I'm hopeful that Again, some of the conversations that we're having nationally around COVID-19 will help start to address this issue. And specifically, what does it take for someone who's not a VIP to get a, a medication that maybe only a handful of people have had access to? Yeah, so it starts with knowing the medication, being able to even advocate to be started on such a, a novel treatment. Uh, it starts with having access to the very trials themselves that are um, are testing these medications. The area of research I study is atrial fibrillation, and we've seen that Black patients, for example, are make up about 2 to 5% of some of the leading atrial fibrillation clinical trials. Um, having a doc who will be willing to prescribe these medications, having the financial resources to afford a monthly co-payment, for example, that can be anywhere from hundreds of dollars to thousands of dollars for some of the newer medications on the market. Uh, being at a hospital receiving care that at a place that 
has specialists who feel comfortable prescribing these medications or even just have access to the medications on on your insurer's formulary. So there are quite a few steps that it takes to having the the quote unquote regular Joe coming into the emergency department with a new infection or condition such as COVID all the way through to getting the newest and latest uh, treatment. And a lot of it does, um, a lot of these issues are underscored by racial and ethnic disparities. Any advice you would give folks about how they could access them? Yeah, I always continue to encourage folks to to be their best advocate. And again, I don't want to put the the onus on patients or individuals themselves, but you know, staying staying in touch with the latest information around treatments and therapeutics testing that's available for any condition, not just COVID nineteen. Um, but I do think that it's up to us on the provider side, on the health system side, on the public health side to really get information out there to patients, even issues such as direct to consumer advertisement, for example, we see disparities in who actually gets access to some of the commercials for medications. Uh, and so it really is up to the health system to um, ensure that individuals, especially communities that have been underserved thus far, have access to the latest information and having encouraging patients to advocate for themselves as often as possible is critical here. Dr. I really appreciate your, your insight today. Your TBSN uh, at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.